0: You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry, or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. Welcome back. Uh, 1115 service. There's a lot uh, that's going on this morning that I feel like I I want to acknowledge and be faithful to uh, acknowledge. And so I'll explain all of that in just a minute, especially if you're new here. But before that... Uh, what happened before you got here is we added back our 9 a.m. service and added back elementary and preschool ministry at that service. And that meant uh, close to 200 uh, kids, elementary and preschool kids, got to hear the gospel, got to learn about God. And so um, that was not easy. That was not easy in this world in, with all the restrictions to do the masks and to do the check-in. And so here's what I want to do. If you, and I know many of you did, if you helped serve at the 9 a.m. in elementary or preschool, will you just raise your hand, please? I know you're in here. Thank you so much for serving. Uh, to our next gen team, Melissa, your team, just incredible leadership, and it just really, matters to be able to, especially today, just take steps towards whatever our new normal is going to be in, in, in terms of ministering in this Chaotic time. So, thank you to those of you who serve. Thank you so much. And to the next gen team, so proud of you guys. Today marks one year since we've been Citizens Church. And so, uh, what you saw on the screen just now were highlights from our commissioning service. And if you were here for all that, then I don't need to explain that to you. If you are new to Citizens Church, here's part of our story. We were a campus of the Village Church. We started back in 2014. And then in 2017, uh, God began to call us uh, towards the idea of becoming our own church. And there was a lot of planning and a lot of praying and a lot of work that went into that. And then there were markers all along the way, that were kind of our, our steps towards becoming our own church, and so one of those markers was a, a vote in January 2019, where we voted to become our own church, and then in April we stopped streaming sermons from Flower Mound from Matt Chandler and started doing local preaching, and then on August 1st we legally became Citizens Church, but the last marker in a long line of steps towards becoming our own church was a year ago today, and it was our commissioning service where we were sent out by the Village Church to be Citizens Church. And and what has been true and what that day held was a lot of answered prayer and the culmination of the fruit of a lot of ministry. And I know just seeing the faces in the room, uh, what that was is that was... um, culmination of a lot of work from you the people who've called this place home for a really long time and so it's important to look back now a year later and to just see how god has sustained and those numbers that you saw are reflective not of uh, success necessarily not of uh, us measuring uh, value through numbers but each one of those numbers represents the hand of god at work in someone's life uh, the hand of God at work in ways we don't deserve. And so we're just so uh, excited about that. And, and I know that this last year has held for us much that we didn't expect. But as one of our elders said uh, a few weeks ago, the gates of hell have tried to prevail against Citizens Church and they've failed because God's been faithful to us and he's been so kind to us. And I could go on and on about uh, all that God has done. So let me just say this, we're a year in, we're still here And I'm grateful to you and grateful to God. So happy birthday, Citizens Church. Uh, What I want to do... Yes, that's appropriate. Uh, What I want to do this morning is I want to talk about us. I want to just take uh, 30 minutes here as we turn one to offer what will be for many a reminder, but for some will be information you've heard the first time just of who we are as a church and who we're trying to become As a church, what is our mission? What is our identity? What has God done? And what are we hoping uh, that God will do? And so over the last several months, uh, myself, some of our staff members, our elders, uh, have been trying to find language, really, language that captures our hopes, that captures our dreams, that captures what we believe to be the mission of Citizens Church in the time where our time is limited, in the time that God has given us, in the days that he has appointed before us, as long as we look around at one another and we call this our spiritual family and God has given us this moment in time as a church where he's placed us in Collin County, we wanna steward that well. We wanna make the most of that. And so what are the words that capture uh, what we're trying to do? And here they are, I wanna introduce this to you. Citizens of heaven, enjoy God, love people, and make disciples. Both who we are and who we hope to become is a church that's marked by this mission that citizens of heaven enjoy God, love people, And make disciples. So, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, there's a lot in there that's probably familiar to you. So, citizens of heaven, that captures our name and our commitment to kingdom theology. Enjoy God, love people, that's the great commandment, like the distillation of all the law and the prophets into one statement. And then, uh, make disciples is the great commission, the purpose that Jesus has given us. And so, that is to some degree the mission of every single church. So that's not new to citizens. That's not original to citizens. In fact, the, the mission of the church is not to be original. The mission of the church is to be faithful to Jesus and faithful to the mission that Jesus handed down to us through his disciples. And so that's where we are. That's what describes us. And what I wanna do in our time together this morning is just unpack each of those phrase. Citizens of heaven, enjoy God, love people, and make disciples. But before doing that, I wanna, maybe try to set the conversation up in a way that, that shapes how you hear it and that shapes how you react to it and that shapes, even if this is your first time to walk through the doors of this place and you don't know where you stand here or what you believe about God, what I'm hoping is to set the conversation up in a way that shapes um, not just you hearing information, but you responding to an invitation to be a part of this with us. I'll share a story that I share during our covenant membership class. A few years ago, Carrie and I, uh, we did a little staycation here in Dallas where we went down to downtown Dallas. We stayed at a hotel. We um, had dinner. We woke up the next morning and we went to get coffee. So just something about me that you need to know about me. I'm a bit of a coffee snob. It hadn't always been that way. I had my very first cup of coffee when I was 25 And so I spent the majority of my life not liking it, hating it, not understanding what people liked about it. Uh, But then I got a job at the village, and that job was pretty much all coffee. It was basically all of my meetings were in coffee shops. What everyone wanted to do was to sit down and drink coffee. And I didn't like coffee. I didn't know what to do. So what I did for the first pretty much year that I was on staff is I would, if I had a meeting at a coffee shop, I would go to the coffee shop five minutes early. I would order hot chocolate. I would ask them to put it in a coffee cup so that when the person I was meeting with got there, they at least thought I was a grown-up, right? So that was kind of where I was for a bit with coffee. And then I just caved to the cultural pressure. And then from there, someone introduced me to craft coffee. I was like, God, this this tastes different. And what that turned into, long story short, is uh, developed into a bit of an obsession to where here's my life now. I buy single-origin, responsibly-sourced craft coffee beans that I make at home through a pour over one cup at a time. And that is as pretentious as it sounds. <laughs> I'm not I'm not proud of it, that's just where I'm at. So Carrie and I, we wake up, we go to get coffee, but not just anywhere. There was a place that I'd wanted to go uh, in Bishop Arts. They roast their own coffee. So I wanted to go, I knew what I wanted. And so we're driving there and I'm thinking about the kind of coffee I'm going to get. And here's what I expect is gonna play out. that I'm gonna walk through the doors, I'm gonna go up to the counter, I'm gonna say good morning, and I'm gonna say, here's the coffee I want. And then I'm gonna ask, uh, you know, could you make it this way, right? Because everyone loves that guy. Um, And so I walk in the doors of this coffee shop. I say good morning. Lady behind the counter says, good morning. And then I start to order and she says, one second. And she stops me and she asks me a question. She says, have you ever been here before? And I said, no, we've never, we've never been here. And she said, could I take some time to share a few things with you about us? And I was like, sure. And so we had a conversation at the counter about that coffee shop And so what she starts sharing with me is she starts sharing uh, about their coffee, how it's made, why they care as much as they do about it. She she shared about their food, the food that they make, uh, how it's made, how it's free of all these kinds of things that'll hurt you, but also make food taste good. And and she goes on and on, like they don't use plastic, right? And so if you want a straw, you've got to have a paper straw, which this isn't the point, but those are the worst. Like, I love the planet. We've got to find a way to do better than that. Um, She says, we don't have Wi-Fi because what we want is we want you to come in and we don't want you to get on a device. We don't want you to come here to work. We want you to come here and be present here and be present with the people that you came with. We don't have to-go cups. We want you to get your coffee here. We want you to drink your coffee here and just slow down. And she talked about their coffee shop for five to 10 minutes and what she shared was she shared uh, you know, their mission, their convictions, what mattered to them and at the end of all of that, she says, what can I get you? But by the time she got to that question, right, I felt like I wasn't just signing up for coffee. I felt like I had to decide in that moment, not just about drinking coffee, but I had to decide if I wanted to be a part of all of this. Like there were things that were being asked of me, not just things that I was getting from them, right? So uh, don't just come and go, but come and stay. Don't be on your phone. Don't use the kind of straw you'd prefer to use, right? And so it was this unexpected experience. And in that, what, what they were asking for was they were inviting a shift. It wasn't just about a cup of coffee, but there were these convictions that they had, there's this culture that they were trying to create, and they wanted you to have your coffee, but beyond that, they wanted to invite you into those convictions. Wanted to invite you into being a part of creating that culture. One of the things that matter most to them, they wanted those to to matter most to you, and it was this shift that came from just coming to consume and the shift towards being invited in be invited in to belong to something, To be invited in to be a part of something. And it struck me, and it struck me because, because this. That's coffee shops. This is a church. But as a church, Christian, at some point in your life, you have to make that same kind of shift. At some point in your experience with church, whatever brought you into the doors, whatever originally attracted you to church or connected you to church, that kind of shift has to happen because we breathe in the air of a me-centered world and me-centered consumeristic mentality that prepares us to walk into any kind of place thinking that it's just about a transaction. It's just about what I give you and maybe what you get to me. And so it's easy to expect of church that church is a place that I simply attend or church is a place where I come to consume or church is a place where there's some sort of religious transaction that I'm interested in. And and hear me, friends, I know you know this, but God just has so much better for us than that. God has designed his church to not be a place where people simply attend, especially not a place where people simply consume but to be a place where we as Christians belong together and become something together. And so any church, right, at Citizens Church, what we're trying to invite is we're trying to stand on the convictions that God has given us, and we have a dream of a culture we're trying to create that's consistent with the kingdom of God and consistent with the values in the heart of God and our, our hope together, one year in, our hope together is to belong together and become something together. And I am today inviting you to either participate in that or be reminded that that's what you already signed up for. That being here, being a part here, is to make that kind of shift, like like where I am giving my life over to something that I believe is bigger than me. Now look, you have, our church is filled with people who have already made that kind of shift. We wouldn't be where we are without that. We wouldn't have made it through all that we've made it through without that. But I say all of that to say, as we walk through citizens of heaven, enjoy God, love people, make disciples, would you hear it as that conversation around the counter? Would you hear it as that invitation to remember or for the very first time to accept that to be a part of a local community of faith, to be a part of a local church, is to commit my life to belonging to something, to go somewhere together that I believe is just bigger than me. In fact, if you would, as I unpack these, if you could just put yourself in the statement that I am a citizen of heaven, I enjoy God. I love people and I make disciples and I just happen to do that here at Citizens Church as part of this one-year-old community of faith. That's what I'm hoping for this morning. Let's walk through these phrases together. Citizens of heaven, enjoy God, love people and make disciples. The very first phrase, citizens of heaven, Here's what we're after in just in starting with that. it's, It's the name of our church. We are committed to kingdom theology. And really, that holds two things for us. Please hear me. Citizens of Heaven holds the true story that we believe about the world. And it holds the true identity that we believe about you, Christian. Sometimes when I sit down and read a book with my daughter, she's seven I talk about her all the time. I adore her. And before the book starts, she will often ask a question. She will say, is this, Dad, is this a true story or a fake story? What we're about to read, is it real? Did it really happen? Or is it a story that someone made up? Because here's what she knows. Sometimes we read stories that are about history and it actually happened. We read the Bible and we believe that actually happened. Other times we read stories that are completely made up. And she just wants to know, how am I supposed to hear this right now? Am I supposed to hear it as true? Am I supposed to hear it as fake? And look, one of the most important things for a Christian to do right now, especially, especially right now, is to look around at the world and to listen to all the stories being told and to ask that same question, is this a true story or is it a fake story? Because there are a lot of false narratives that are being propagated all around us, right? Here's what I mean, the world is telling a story right now of individualism. And that story says that you are the commander of your own destiny, you are an autonomous self, and you write your own story. There's also a story of consumerism that says happiness is found in getting all you want and happiness is found in keeping all that you have. There's a false story of secularism that says this world is all that there is. The material world is all that there is. And so morality is relative and purpose is relative and meaning in life is relative and all of those stories are fake. People believe them, and people live their lives by them, and they come out of their lives in different ways, but that's not the true story of the world. The true story of the world is the story that is revealed to us by God in his word. That's the story we live by. The story that you, whether you believe what I just said or not, it is the story that you live in. And the Bible's favorite way to tell that story is by talking about the kingdom of God. The first words out of Jesus' mouth in his first sermon when his ministry first begins is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. One of Jesus' favorite things to talk about is the kingdom of God. When the story of God ends in Revelation 21 verses 1 through 3, the Bible's happily ever after picture is a city, the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven and it's a symbolism for the fact that heaven and earth are being reunited and that's what the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of heaven is everything about earth restored to the way that it was supposed to be and would have been had sin never entered into the world. And that's the story that we believe. And in that story, uh, there is flourishing. So I'm going to pause there because we start a sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount next Sunday, and it's all about that. The Sermon on the Mount is all about what life in the kingdom looks like and what it looks like for heaven and earth to be reunited. Colossians, or Citizens of Heaven, also speaks to our identity. So it's the story of the kingdom of God, and it's the identity who you are. Listen to these passages, Ephesians 2.19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most important roles of a church, one of the most important roles that you can play in the life of other Christians around you is by speaking true identity over them over and again. It is so... What we believe about who God has declared us to be is so scandalous and it's so counterintuitive that it's so easy to forget and it's so easy for our own internal shame to disrupt it over and again. So when we start our mission statement with citizens of heaven, it's telling the true story, but it's also saying our commitment to one another is to remind us over and again who God has said that we are in Christ. And that's such great news because it's not who you were, a Christian. You were an enemy, but through Jesus, you've been made a friend. You were an outcast, but through Jesus, you were welcomed in. You were part of a kingdom of the world that had no future. You were part of a kingdom of the world that had no hope. You were part of the world that was filled with only empty promises and broken hearts and dark souls. And there's a world you were made for, and there's a love you were made for, and there's a kingdom that you were made for, and yet you had no shot on your own of belonging to that world, but there's a King. His name's Jesus and he's brave and he's courageous and filled with love. He does not fight against you. He fought for you by laying down his life, rising in victory over death. And Jesus, the world's true king, who holds all things together, who has all power and all authority, he lays down his life for his enemies so that sinners could become sons and daughters and so that sinners could become saints and citizens. And that's who you are. That's what he's done for you. And so what we say in Colossians, what we said is we said that you're not your worst moment. You're no longer defined by your sin. You belong to the world that both is and is to come. You're a citizen in the kingdom of God. And so to be a citizen in the kingdom of God is to have a future and it's to have hope and it's to belong to Jesus, the king who will never be defeated and it's belong to the kingdom that will never end And his promises are yes and amen. And our hearts are not dark. They're being changed. This is who you are. And it is especially true, friends, in our polarized society, in our incredibly controversial world, to remember that that's our starting place as Christians, as we engage. We said this a few weeks ago, we are not primarily defined by the things that separate us based on how we land on any controversial topic that's dominating the newsfeed or dominating the social media right now. You and I are primarily at our very core. We belong to God, our allegiance is to Jesus, our our citizenship is in the kingdom that both is and is to come. Citizens of heaven is our commitment to tell that story over again, to speak that true identity over and again, that, friends, who you are is you are one who has a God-given, Christ-purchased, spirit-sealed identity that you'll never lose. Praise God. Citizens of heaven, enjoy God. That word enjoy could be replaced with a lot of words. Maybe you could say citizens of heaven love God, that's true, obey God, that's true, but enjoy holds an important nuance for us. And maybe you grew up uh, Presbyterian or grew up in another tradition and you're familiar with the Westminster Shorter Catechism that says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Not many Presbyterians in the room, that's okay. We were made for God. That word enjoy captures that reality that you and I were made for the presence of God, not just to know the right things about God, but to have the right response to who that God is, to have the right response to what he has revealed. And so we are made to be in relationship with God and then to be in relationship with God is to satisfy something of a longing in the heart that nothing else can fill and nothing else can satisfy. It's why I just love the way Augustine put it. You have made us for yourself, O God, And our heart is restless until it rests in you. To enjoy God are to be those people who not just know rightly about God, but respond to what we know about God by delighting and enjoying him. And that starts by being right about him. That starts by knowing him as he's revealed himself in his word. I had a conversation with a guy two weeks ago, and we're talking about what he believes, and um, he told me he used to be a Christian, and he no longer identifies as a Christian. And I asked him what he meant by that, and he went on to tell me a really common deconversion story. You know what a deconversion story is? It's somebody who explains why they used to believe what they believe about Christianity and how that belief unraveled because of discovering certain things or having certain experiences. And his deconversion story was really common. It's that uh, he saw hypocrisy in the church, which for sure exists. He saw people of other religions be more devoted to their religion than Christians were to theirs, which that for sure happens in a lot of ways. And then he went to talk about just the problems that he sees. And in in a lot of ways, I agreed with a lot of his take. I agreed with some of the objections that he had. But he said this. Here's what troubled me at the end of our conversation. He said, you know, I still love the Lord. I'm just trying to figure out who that Lord is to me. I feel like that was really honest of him. I feel like that was really sincere of him. But that's just fraught with problems. Because you walk that road one of two ways. If you're saying I'm trying to figure out who the Lord is to me, then I am going to consider what God has said about himself. Consider, I'm start with the teachings of Jesus. What has Jesus said about himself? How has history revealed Jesus, preserved in scripture? And then I'm going to either reject him or I'm gonna follow him, but I'm not, I can't change him. In other words, God's not going to, if God is objective reality, God's not going to be something different to you than he is to me, any more than you're going to be something different to the people around you if he actually exists. But so often what happens is we use the word God, but we don't mean the same thing. Or we use the word Lord, and we don't mean the same thing. We define that word how we want. And so it's just so common to hear You know, I don't identify with any of the major religions. I'm not comfortable saying that any one is better than the other, so I will just then decide who God is to me and leave everyone else alone, which sounds humble, but it's just fraught with problems. So, another way to say it is, I don't think any religion is better than any other, but also none of them are good enough for me. So I will create my own And then once you start down that path, you begin to create a belief system where you become your own God and you fashion a God after your own image instead of enjoying the God who made you in his. There are are only two options when it comes to God. There are only two options. Either worship him for who he says he is and be changed by him to become more human or try to change him which is an attempt For me to be more than human, and it always makes God less than God. When we say enjoy God, we mean enjoy the God of the Bible. When we say enjoy God, we mean we enjoy the God who has revealed himself in his self revelation of himself in his word. And so, look, that's why we preach through books of the Bible, that's why we spent almost a year on a four-chapter book of the Bible. That's why next week we're gonna start a sermon series on three chapters of the Bible, and who knows, maybe a year, maybe, maybe five. And so it's why this week what we're starting is we've got three to 400 men and women who are starting Bible class, even in the middle of a pandemic, some who are doing that virtual, some who are doing that in person, because we have a hunger to know God as he's revealed himself to know God as he's defined himself. It's why at the nine o'clock, those rooms were filled with preschoolers and elementary students who were learning about God as he's revealed himself in his word. It's why my hope for you, friend, is that you're spending time in God's word between Sundays, not just 30 minutes on a Sunday morning, but actually disciplining in your life to orient around God's word because we need to know him. We cannot enjoy a God that we do not know And to enjoy a God that's different than how he's revealed himself is to enjoy a God that doesn't actually exist. There's only one. And he is who he says he is according to how he's revealed himself in his word. There's another side of that, though, friends. And this is why we wanted to put a stake in the ground with the word enjoy. The point of knowing that God is to culminate in enjoying him The point of knowing him is to culminate in being satisfied in him. So there are a lot of things I know about my wife and could share about my wife that are just objective truths, like her hair color, her history, where she grew up, her preferences, right? But it's not, to as her husband, it's not enough just to spout facts to you about her. The relationship of husband and wife is designed to be one where there's an enjoyment of what I know. There's a delight in what I know. That is even more true in the relationship of creator to creation, that for creation to discover things about God, to discover that he's a trinity, to discover the way that he's written his story in the world, to discover his attributes that so he's pure and he's holy and he's beautiful and he's always everywhere all the time and he never didn't exist. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a response required to those kinds of truth and it's more than just saying, yes, I agree. It's worship. It's enjoyment of what we know to be true about God. I think biblical illiteracy is a problem. I do. I think theological illiteracy in the evangelical church is a problem. I I think it is so important to know deeply and to know with uh, a level of width who God is and how he's revealed himself. I think as dangerous a problem is spiritual apathy towards what we do know, in spiritual apathy towards what, what has been revealed, right? Knowing a lot but being unmoved by what we know. When you read the Bible, when you read the worship that comes from the Bible, the adoration, the allegiance that comes from those who follow God, who follow Jesus, there's not a disconnect between their head and their heart. It's not simply an intellectual exercise of, "Do I affirm all the right things about God?" It culminates in a full-person capture of the soul. David says it in Psalm 27:4, "One thing I ask. If, if I've got one request, the one thing I want to be true about my life is that I will seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. There's such a singular affection coming from the heart. Psalm 84, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. If you've got two options of two different jobs, If you have the choice between being right in the middle, right in the center of attention, right in the center of the worship of the wicked, if you've got that job option, or you could be the guy holding the door where God is. You can be the one that is on the outskirts and you have the one who is maybe neglected, the one who is the furthest from the center. What do you choose? You choose the door holder. I would rather be on the outskirts of where God is than right in the middle of where he's not. It's the cry of the heart from those who believe what we believe about God. John 6, it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. There's droves of disciples leaving Jesus. He was too honest. He was too offensive. He didn't fit the expectations. And so hundreds of disciples leave him in a day. And he turns to the 12 and he says, are you also going to leave? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. They're watching them walk away, and they're saying to Jesus, I don't care where they go or what they find, whatever they find will not compare to what we have in you, Jesus. My heart for us, our heart together as a people, is that the more we know of God, the more we learn of God, the more we enjoy him. And I understand that there are dark nights of the soul. I've been in those. I understand that in seasons of suffering, in a lot of ways like the one that we're in, seasons of disruption, that becomes complicated. But what we're asking God to do is not just to increase our knowledge of him, but to increase our enjoyment of him and decrease our longing for his presence. Because when this story ends, that's what we get. The prize of following Jesus is an eternity with Jesus. The prize of Christianity is that you get an unfiltered access to the presence of God, which is precisely what your heart was made for and precisely what our hearts are missing living in between those times. Citizens of heaven enjoy God. I'm going to have to speed up. Citizens of heaven love people. We love two kinds of people, church. We love Christians and we love neighbors, John 13, 35 says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Listen, by this the world will know that you're my disciple if you have love for one another. So think about these words from Jesus, the defining trait of a Christian. What marks a Christian, what separates a Christian, what distinguishes a Christian from the rest of the world is the way Christians love who? Other Christians. Other Christians. How can you tell a Christian from a non-Christian, Christians love other Christians in a way that is unignorable to the surrounding world? I don't, I don't mean this as a joke. I don't know about you. I don't think Christians in this country are doing an awesome job at that. These are polarized times. These are controversial times. It's so much easier to cancel people than to love them. Uh, and so much more accepted to cancel people than to love them. And so I don't pastor other churches, I just pastor this church. Uh, The scope of, of ministry and leadership that God has given me and the other elders here is this place and it's you. And so I don't think we can fix all the world's problems, but I know for sure what we can do is in that kind of environment that's polarized and divided and so toxic, we have an opportunity to be a compelling witness of love to the world. And the primary way right now to do that is to be able to disagree with one another without dismissing one another. Because in Christ, we have more in common than we have to fight about. And in Christ, we have more to celebrate than we have to divide over. And we have a shared story that we believe that we belong now to the kingdom that both is and is coming. And we will be together for all of eternity. So citizens of heaven love people. And that starts by us loving each other. starts by us being gentle with one another and understanding and empathetic towards one another. And I know we don't all know each other. It's a larger church, but wherever it is that you are around other Christians that call this place home or around other Christians at all, the call on your life, the call on my life from our Savior is that your interactions, your relationships would be marked by love a kind of love that is distinct, a kind of love that can endure. I love the definition from our series in Colossians that loving someone, loving another Christian, means I am with you and I am for you, even and especially when it's difficult because I want my life to make your life look more like Jesus. Do you have that kind of vision for your relationships with other Christians? Let me say it another way. I have a vision in my relationships with other Christians for how I can help in their sanctification. I have a vision for how my life can help their life look more like Jesus, and that vision has endurance to it. That vision can endure being offended, that vision can endure being wronged, and it for sure can endure simply not agreeing with one another on things that neither of us will care much about the day that we stand face to face with Jesus. Citizens of heaven love people. We love one another oh, that, that the reputation that we had as a church is that those people at Citizens Church love each other, that that would be the reputation that poured out into our city and out into our county. And people ask the question, what do you know about Citizens Church? They're like, I don't know, they name their church after a bank, that's kind of weird, but I also know about them that they love each other and they love each other in a way that's different. What people would usually divide over, they're just able to endure together. May it be God. Second, we love our neighbors. In Luke 10, Jesus tells us what neighbor love looks like by telling a story about a man who was beaten half to death and he was helped by a man who was a Samaritan. And we've talked about that over the last year, year and a half, here's what we've said about love for neighbor, it's three things. Love for neighbor sees people, love for neighbor honors God's image in people, and love for neighbor enters the mess. It enters messes that are not ours. So we see people. God, the most important thing around you in any given day, the most important thing around you today are the people that God has placed around you in proximity in your life. See them. See them. And here's what I mean by that. You know what it's like to be unseen. You know what it's like to be neglected. And you know what it's like to look around at the people in your life and to categorize them between those who can help me get where I wanna go and those who can't help me where I get where I wanna go. And so it's so easy to divide the people in our life between the people that we use to get what we want and the people we ignore because they don't have what we want. See people. Welcome in your life people as interruptions to the things that you want, interruptions to your schedule in our hurried, busy lives that are filled with all kinds of tasks. We have to be the people that make room for the interruptions because when humans, when people interrupt our lives, that's where some of the greatest opportunities for love and ministry are. See people, honor the image of God. Friends, every single human being is sacred. Everyone, every human is made in the image of God and so regardless of social standing or social status or skin color or sin struggle, every person has sacred value and sacred dignity because they bear the image of God. And so what a Christian can do, knowing that, that every single human I encounter is a reflection of the image of God, then that frees us up to treat people with dignity and honor, to be kind to them, to listen, to defend them, because people are worth it. People are worth it. One of the unique contributions from our theology is that before anyone accomplishes anything, before anyone does anything spectacular or remarkable, they have intrinsic value and dignity and worth simply because they're alive, simply because they're a person made in the image of God. And because of that, we enter into the mess. God has deployed his people in the world to be about justice in the world, there's a lot of confusion around justice right now and what it looks like. We at Citizens Church are committed to biblical justice, connected to the story we believe to be true about the world. Remember, there is a world coming, there is a day coming when there is no more poverty and there is no more slavery and there is no more abortion and there is no more racism and there is no more disease and we know that day is coming and so when we oppose those things today, when we enter into the messes of people's lives, when we meet needs, when we fight for justice, we are declaring in the present what we know is coming in the future. And that drives us to enter into messes that we didn't make that drives us to carry problems that are not our problem, but loving people, loving our neighbors, like the Samaritan who takes the time when the religious guys didn't to pick the man up, to dress his wounds, to to haul him somewhere where he can get help and to pay for his care. It is the essence of love to enter into someone else's pain and say, I'm gonna stay here with you and I'm gonna walk with you through this. And we're gonna find some sort of solution. And if you're unconscious, I'm gonna take care of you and I'm gonna carry this for you because we are a people that help carry burdens that are not our burdens because we worship a savior who carried a cross that was not his cross. And we all benefited from that. Would you remember that Jesus entered into our mess? It wasn't his, he entered into our problem, it wasn't his. He carried a cross that you and I deserved and the justice of God, in the sacrificial, empathetic love of Jesus to step into our sin changed your life, changed my life. And one of the expressions of loving others and loving those around us is being willing to enter into those messes. Citizens of heaven, enjoy God. Citizens of heaven, love people. Citizens of heaven, make disciples. I'll go quickly. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples disciples of all nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. For all the talk there is about the will of God in our lives, all the books that have been written about discerning the will of God, all the times that we feel so caught between what's the next step that God wants me to make, what's the job he wants me, what's the relationship he wants me, there is something that is not confusing about the will of God, that at the foundational level God's will for your life is to make disciples every one of us, to make disciples. And that's just an expression of what God has done in your life. I love the way we say it in Steps. In Steps, we talk about the gospel in, gospel out pattern of the life of a Christian, that the gospel came into your life. It met you right where you are. The gospel met you in your mess, and it met you in your sin, and it changed you. And there's this great, trend, uh, this great uh, turn that happens in your life where you were turned from darkness Into light. You are rescued from death and brought into life. And God is changing you and restoring what you've lost, and He's healing your soul, and He's slowly making you look more like Jesus, but it doesn't end with you. It doesn't just stay with you. The gospel comes into your life, it flows out of your life as though to those who are around you who God has placed around you by sharing Jesus with them, even if all you know to do is to tell your story. I don't have all the answers to all your questions. I don't want to get into any kind of argument. All I can tell you is what Jesus has done for me. I was at a um, benefit dinner for an organization, and there was a man there speaking who had donated a ton of money to this organization, and he donated a ton of money because he had a ton of money, super wealthy, and he made a comment about his wealth that struck me. He said. Um, I am the kind of person that has the kind of wealth that can change people's future. And so I feel a responsibility to be generous with that because I have the kind of money that can change someone's future that comes with a responsibility of generosity. And as I thought about that, I thought how much more true is that for Christians with the spiritual wealth that we have What if evangelism, what if making disciples is just an expression of gospel generosity because we are wealthy? I don't mean physically. I mean that we have been given a wealth of grace and a wealth of love, and we have the kind of news and the kind of stories, and we possess truth about Jesus that can change not just someone's future, can change someone's eternity, can change their life forever. Are you generous with that wealth? If you have the kind of information, if you have the kind of story, if you have the kind of relationship with God that can change someone's eternity, how generous are you in the lives of those who are all around you? The men, the women, the boys and girls who need to know the true story of God, who need to know the God that you enjoy, people that you can love and people that you can point to, the truth that you know. Citizens of heaven, enjoy God, love people, make disciples. That's the invitation. To belong and to become to belong together, to be invited into those convictions, to be invited to create that kind of culture right where we are, to all around the world, that we enjoy God, we love people, we make disciples. And I want to end by telling you uh, just a moment that I had last night in preparing for this morning uh, because it brought so much encouragement to me and it's so true about us. I was tucking my son Asher in, Asher's a Christian, Uh, He loves the Lord um, and he's he's precious to me. We we read a book together about prayer and then after the book, he asked me a question. He said, Dad, do you think someday I will make a big impact for God? Just a sweet question. Also, I've noticed about him that he waits to ask those questions right before he's supposed to go to bed, so I I think he's up to something there. And so we started talking about, well, what do you want to do and all that? And I was just caught by something. I just said, hey, buddy, um, I see God using you now. Like, I see ways in your life that, that God's using you right now. He's got two younger sisters. They hang on his every word. They love him. Whether they want to admit it or not, they love him. And that day, he stopped. He took time to just encourage his sister his younger sister, to encourage her, to tell her good job. He loves her, not perfectly, but faithfully. And I just pointed to that. I just said, look, but that makes an impact. That pleases God. You're shaping people now. And I just thought, how common is it when we think about how God's going to use us? We always think about it as if it's future someday, and we always think about it as if it has to be grand. And by grand, we mean the way the world defines Grand, And yet if I think about it for my son, God's active in his life, God's using him and he is uh, impacting people around him in ways that are unseen, in ways that aren't super impressive, but ways that matter a lot in the economy of the kingdom of God. And I left his room with that fresh on my mind. I sat down, look over my notes for this morning and I just thought, God, you have already made our church so much of what I'd hope we'd become. That if I think about citizens of heaven, enjoy God, love people, make disciples, I don't have to think about some sort of future hope I have for what that looks like. I can look to the present reality of how God has stirred in your heart, how God has captured your life, and how that's coming out of your life in service for others. To be very practical, those of you in here that volunteered at the nine, what you taught those kids, the the time that you came and and coming up here and, and many came, served, and then had to go home just to know that when we think big and we think impact, it's in the small, ordinary, faithful expressions that point people to God, that declare the truths of God, and we don't see all of the growth and we don't see all of the fruit, but it matters and it's doing something, and God is using it to accomplish something. And so look, we are a year old as a church, and I hope that what guides us into our next year and our next 10 years, and however many God gives us, is this mission that citizens of heaven love God, love people, and make disciples. And I also want you to know, church, that it is just such a humbling, delightful, God-given reality that we are already so much of that, that that reality is here among us, that he's moving and he's working. It's not a future season we're trying to arrive into someday. It is a current reality that God in his kindness through preserving us, sustaining us, shaping us, leading us is doing something among us. Praise God. Father, we love you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness to us. I thank you for all that this day represents and for all that this day holds, God. So much to look back on. So many ways to look back and to say, you know, year 1 has been this or This is the adjective that best fits. This is the painful moment or the difficult thing or but none of it captures the truth of what's happened at this church, none of it captures quite like saying that in our year, you've been faithful, God. You've led us, been kind to us. And so, Lord, we want to be citizens of heaven that enjoy you, that love others, that make disciples, and we thank you, God, that that's not something that we have to contrive. That's not something that's going to ride on our talents. It's going to ride on our gifts. It's going to ride on our strategy. That is something that, God, you are already ahead of us, making us, doing among us. And it is our joy to just follow you in that. We love you. We thank you. we pray. Amen.